Bandwidth for Priority One Podcast is brought to you by Playa Escondida. Ever dreamed of visiting Planet Risa? Well, Playa Escondida is the ultimate beach resort excursion. Visit PlayaEscondida.com to book your ultimate vacation getaway. Command codes verified. Priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Captains, you're listening to episode 174 of Priority One Podcast, the premier Star Trek online podcast. Recorded Thursday, May 15th, 2014, live on trekradio.net and available for download or streaming as of Monday, May 19th, 2014 at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Cookie. I'm Jace. And I'm Elijah. Well, Elijah, tell us what we have in store this week. This week, Captains, we trek out the theory of fluidic space with visualization scientist Dr. Robert Hurt. In Star Trek Online news this week, we'll review some upcoming events in Star Trek Online and the latest patch notes and some other little tidbits of news. For our Community Spotlight segment, Shivery Bean returns for his Foundry Officers report and a review of Brothers of Man by Gwalchavid. And of course, as always, we'll open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming from you, our listeners. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One Podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations and helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We're all volunteers, and we could use your help with the overall running costs that help keep this podcast going week after week. Is this the year you go to a con? Well, don't miss Elle's latest in-development blog titled Con Logistics. It's a great foundation to help prep for that big convention event. Up next, Wesley Garris helps players tackle the Undine Space Battle Zone in his latest subspace communique. Check out this blog and others only on PriorityOnePodcast.com. And lastly, Captains, before we move on with the show, we invite you to keep an eye on our social media platforms like Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We are about 99 people away from 1,000. So come on. Come on. Get us to 1,000. You can also follow us on Twitter at at STO Priority One. Well, Captains, try not to get it in your hair when we check out Fluidic Space with Dr. Robert Hurt. I don't know. Then let's trek it out. All right, Captains, joining us this week is Priority One's very own science advisor, visualization specialist, Dr. Robert Hurt, joining us again here on Priority One Podcast. Thank you, Dr. Hurt, for stopping by again. Hello, everyone. It's a great pleasure to be here, as always. All right. So we (laughs) – actually, you sent me an email because you heard – Al Rivera asked to bring you on to talk about fluidic space, right? To talk about the theory behind fluidic space. That's right. I was, uh, yeah, when you had him on and you started grilling him on on the uh, <laughs> details of how this all worked, <laughs> I was, of course, getting interested. And then you suddenly said, oh, yeah, we should talk about the physics of this. And 
my first thought was, wow, how had I never actually stopped to think about the physics of fluidic space before you mentioned that on the podcast? (laughs) (laughs) So let's jump right into it. So from what we know of Star Trek lore, can you tell us what fluidic space is? That is a great question. I've been rolling this around my brain now for like two weeks trying to figure out where we would hook this into like real science versus, you know, kind of fringe science and Star Trek science. But a few things I can say where I would start sort of partitioning things is obviously fluid space is like a parallel universe, right? Some sort of parallel dimension. We've pocket universe. We've seen a lot of these in Star Trek. Now, of course, modern astrophysics uh, one big thing in astronomy and astrophysics right now is this idea of the multiverse and uh, the different kinds of multiverses that could exist you know depending on what the uh, the limits of which kind of fringe theories of theoretical physics actually may pan out and the idea that there could be multiple universes that kind of individually pop up each with different kind of physical laws and things is you know something that scientists are actually discussing with uh, some seriousness so so that said what do we know about fluidic space, right? We know that it's got creatures that have DNA, and they're organic, and so it's, it's got the same elements and things that we do. You know, in Voyager, they actually reference the DNA of the Undine, so it, you know, we know that they're not that dissimilar from us. And so it's got to be a universe in which physical law is basically the same, um, same sets of chemicals to work with, only it's filled with fluid. <laughs> So, uh, in general relativity, one of the interesting things that happened when uh, Einstein first came up with relativity is he saw that his equations for how space and time should kind of interact suggested the universe should either be expanding or contracting and really couldn't be static, which is what the answer he expected to find. So he twiddled with it a little bit so there would be a way to make it static. Of course, this was right before the great discovery that the universe was actually expanding. And when you go back and you look at the field equations for gravitational field, you sort of see that if you start with a universe that explodes in Big Bang and has an expanding, it's kind of like a, you know, throwing a rock up off the Earth. It's like if the expansion is fast enough and the Earth is small enough, the rock will reach escape velocity and it will never come back down. So in relativity terms, that means the universe itself will keep expanding, expanding, expanding. Space just gets bigger and bigger and bigger. If, on the other hand, there's enough matter like spread throughout the universe, the density, basically the density of matter is high enough, then what happens is it's like the rock reaching the apex of its throw and then falling back down. That happens to space. Space would stretch, slow down, and then collapse back on itself. Now... I mentioned this whole background of relativity because the one thing we know about fluidic space is it's filled with fluid, which means it's got a much higher average density than our universe, which is mostly empty, right? (laughs) We have a few planets and stars. So gravitationally speaking, I think we could actually make a strong art case for fluidic space is a little pocket universe that for some reason had just a vastly greater amount of um, mass density with respect to its volume. And that, with at least a very naive application of uh, relativity theory, you might actually be able to support this universe against collapse by the mass density of the material inside of it. If all the parameters were tweaked right, you could actually have a universe that was sort of finite in extent, wraps around on itself, that any collapse of space-time would actually be supported by the pressure of the fluid kind of pushing back on, effectively, the fabric of space-time. So I think one of the original questions that came in in that previous podcast is whether there's pressure in fluidic space. And I would argue you probably would have a pressure in the fluidic space, not because you have a weight of water pushing down on you, like the pressure we get in the ocean, but because space-time itself is probably 
going to be trying to collapse back down and fluidic space would be trying to push it back out and keep it suspended. So if I'm translating this properly in my own mind, it's kind of like a water balloon. So if you try to squeeze a water balloon, it it won't just immediately blow up. You actually get resistance from the water inside. Because that's the difference between a gas and a fluid. A gas is compressible. You can take it, you can squish it, you can make it smaller, and the pressure goes up. You know, so the volume actually changes. A fluid is incompressible. You push it, it can't actually get any smaller. The pressure goes up, but if you get to a point where you actually make this fluid smaller, you're actually doing all sorts of chemical changes. You're crushing it. You're making it into something that's not a fluid anymore. You're turning it into a solid. So yeah, I, I would think that fluidic space may be a kind of... You could imagine it as a sort of a self-contained, okay. finite universe that wraps around on itself. Mm-hmm that there would be whatever pressure in the fluid is coming from just this balance of fluid pressure versus pressure of space-time, which would be trying to collapse back down again. So speaking of pressure, and I think this is where you were going to go before I interrupted you, one thing I think of when I see a ship go into fluidic space in Star Trek is, why is it not reacting like a ship would in water, where the deeper you go, the more pressure on the hull, and why aren't these ships just collapsing in on themselves? Yeah, so... Well, if we can wave our little magic Star Trek science wand here, we would have to say that the way that all the parameters of this universe would balance out is that the amount of pressure that space-time is putting down, like the collapsing force, must be relatively gentle. And, you know, here we're free to make these things up because it is science fiction. And right, so we right, can right. basically hypothesize a universe where there's a, maybe a gentle pressure of space-time pushing in, but it isn't so huge that it would actually create such ridiculously high pressures that ships would be crushed like eggshells. The other thing that uh, Al Rivera had postulated was that if there were an object, if there were a bottom to the fluidic space, or if there were an object, a planetoid of some sort, that there would be pressure around that planetoid because gravity would start to kick in. Well, if you did have objects like planets, effectively, something equivalent to a planet in fluidic space, made of material that was denser than the liquid you know, in this fluid, which we've got to assume is something like alcohol or water or something. I mean, again, it's got to be made of the same things that we're made of because, you know, it's what the undine presumably are related to or evolved from in some way. So, yeah, you could, if you put over-dense things in there, then, yeah, presumably there could be planet-type things that would form out of that material, whatever material was left over. Actually, the other thing I started really worrying about is where the hell did fluidic space come from? (laughs) You know, in our universe, the Big Bang nucleosynthesis, you basically had hydrogen and helium and a little touch of lithium. And all the other elements came after you formed a generation of stars that collapsed out of the gas, generated the heavy elements, and then spit them back out in supernova explosions. And that caused the enrichment that then went on to the second generation and third generation of star formation to give you the heavy elements that go into forming planets and comets and moons and things. In fluidic space, though, was it always a fluid? I started wondering, is this a universe in which nucleosynthesis at the beginning of the Big Bang actually made not just hydrogen and helium, but oxygen and carbon and lithium and phosphorus and all those other things of life, and that it never had to go through a generation of star formation because it already had all the heavy elements that it needed? Which got me on another track. I'm, I'm really curious about what fluidic space is now. <laughs> because here's another tricky thing about fluidic space. The, uh, the Undine right. are natives to it. But we've been in their ships. They breathe oxygen. Their ships have air. We had one docked with the Borg ship. So they apparently live in these ships, in these structures, breathing air, but they live in a space that's a fluid. Mm. 
how did they ever evolve in the fluid to like want to have to build pockets of air around them? Hmm, plot hole, I think. <laughs> yeah, well, or plot opportunity. Right, right. What if fluidic space is a synthetic universe? Right. What if some species evolved and, and decided that they didn't want any part of our universe and ages ago created a little pocket universe and they took their whole world of material and like injected it into a little bubble they created in space-time? Potentially, that would mean they brought with them everything they needed to live. Right. Maybe they needed to make it fluidic in order to make a stable bubble of space-time that wouldn't collapse on itself, referencing the earlier you know, pressure of collapse versus the pressure of the fluid. But they themselves may still be organisms that evolved in an atmosphere on a planet and therefore would have had to construct their own synthetic environments to live in, even if they were surrounded by the space that they tailor-made for their own needs. There is a Foundry mission for you. <laughs> I encourage people to play with these ideas and run with it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, Cookie, you had a question? Oh, yes. If you go into fluidic space and then come back out, is your ship wet? <laughs> <laughs> I think it probably would have to be. Maybe even sticky. Yeah, I know, I know. If those mucus pockets can hold the ship and slow us down in, in our dimension, then I'm sure somebody's got to wipe those windows. This goes back to uh, mm. Elijah's hashtag no bio. Yeah. <laughs> He's anti-biotech. He sounds like a duty officer mission. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be awesome. EVA mission to uh, clean the hole. Get your best ensigns on it. <laughs> I'm thinking this is what Baryon sweeps were made for. You know? <laughs> I just want to mention something that Skippy said in the chat. Okay. He said they don't always breathe air. There's an episode of Voyager that has an undine crawling around outside the ship. True. That's right. They At one point, we're crawling around the outside of the ship. It means they can breathe in a vacuum, or, they, or at least they can survive in a vacuum. They have their own air pockets. But ironically, of course, that's still the extreme opposite of a fluidic space that's got pressure and liquid material. So I guess they're just so incredibly evolved that they don't need air or fluid or anything if they don't want it. Mm. Yeah, that's actually an even stranger wrinkle because I thought maybe part of the reason why they were so hostile to this universe is that it would seem, as I've said before, like something out of our idea of a horror movie. You know, to them, we're from the void, from the vacuum, the, the, the vast dark it's it's anathema or aberrant, but they can just survive in it, so what would it matter? Well, exactly. It, it seems that the Undine are so adaptable to so many different environments, it seems hard to actually believe in a kind of extended mythology sense that they were naturally evolved out of the environment of fluidic space. Mm -hmm. Because you would think if they were, why would they even need bio? They'd just be swimming around, right? It's like they would be living in this neon infinite expanse of, of ocean. Why would you have to build a bioship with air inside if you were just evolved in that space? Why wouldn't they look like fish instead of having three legs? You know, obviously meant to stand in gravity. Hmm. Whereas in fluidic space, there really wouldn't be any direction for gravity to exist in. It would still be it would be like a zero G ocean. So it doesn't really feel like they are creatures evolved in fluidic space. Mm -hmm. mm, that's really good story. I really like that. I really like that. Because, yeah, I didn't think about that at all. Somebody needs to write that Foundry mission. We always write this off, of course, to the fact that, you know, when the writers are sitting there on a deadline and writing right, up these course, aliens and sending notes over to the visual effects department, they don't necessarily think through, like, ah, oh, why would a tripedal alien 
evolve naturally in a space with the fluid in all directions. But, you know, it does mean that you can have fun reverse engineering the established facts into a framework that makes a little more sense. Yes, because it's a show is always less fun. (laughs) (laughs) Cookie, you wanted to say something? I was just going to say, this has made me want to rewatch all the episodes that involve the Undine fluidic space so well since there are only two of them it's pretty easy now i'm just gonna be screaming at my television lies lies <laughs> they've uh they've almost never revisited fluidic space even in the novels uh memory beta most of the information that's not from the episodes is from sto yeah and i know that i mean in memory alpha they talk about in star trek armada there was a battle like the last level of the game it was a battle with uh with species 8472 but well, Dr. Hurt, we want to thank you for uh, for stopping by. I mean, did we cover should, did we cover did we miss anything is what I want to say. I think we hit like the major points. I guess the thing I found interesting when we first mentioned this is the idea that we could really play a little bit with these ideas of what we know about how space-time works in our vacuum universe and uh, have a little fun trying to understand what that would say about things like pressure and content. But, but then when I started going down the entire question of nucleosynthesis and how did you actually get fluidic space from their own like genesis moment of their universe, that's when I really started feeling like, you know, this is feeling more and more synthetic the, the longer I think about it. It's a really nice twist to it. I like it. I like that direction that you're taking it. So, yeah, definitely. I, you know, I'm hoping maybe we can, somebody creative listening to this will be able to write a story about it and and we'll get the uh, the genesis of the Undine. <laughs> that would be incredibly cool. Well, again, Dr. Hurt, we want to thank you for stopping by here on Priority One Podcast and offering your expertise and your knowledge to share and to speculate on a topic like fluidic space with us. Always a pleasure. Uh, hopefully we can do it again soon. I uh, think I've got uh, a few cool astronomical tidbits. We could trek it out with sometime in the future as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Discover something that you think the rest of our listeners would enjoy hearing about? Send them over to us via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Crypto, crypto, crypto. This is Tony saying welcome to the soapbox, everyone. Okay. Uh, hey, uh, uh, is, this thing, is this thing on? Okay. All right. Great. Um, this is mainly directed to the United States listeners of Guard Frequency and Priority One Podcast. So all you sits and sieves and captains who live beyond the amber waves of grain and shining seas and whatnot, thanks for your patience. Those of you who are tech news geeks have probably heard about the debate surrounding net neutrality going on in Washington, D.C. For those who haven't found a reason to care yet, listen up. Net neutrality is a squishy concept that generally describes the ideal that if there is content on the net that one person wants to provide and one person wants to access, the folks that own the wires and waves between those two people are going to treat them like they would treat any other two people who want to exchange data. Some people may have DSL, some may be on a Wi-Fi routed cable modem, some may be on a cell connection. But the only thing dictating how fast you get your web page or podcast served to you should be the technical limitations of your connection. The type of connection a consumer has is up to the consumer. Availability and cost are balanced against speed and capacity. Same goes for providers. However, the owners of the wires and waves have decided that the providers are getting a little too rich off the use of those wires and waves. Using myself as an example, in addition to paying my cable bill to Cox Communications every month, I also pay Netflix every month 
to access a library of films and TV shows. This library is delivered to my house or phone via a web of wires and waves that Netflix and I have paid to connect us together. And to the owner of the wires and waves, that simply isn't good enough. Why should content providers be making a fortune off of a network they don't own? Well, my short answer is that they've already paid for access to the wires and waves, and so have I. Obviously, the Verizons and Comcast of the world would disagree. Over the past decade, the Federal Communications Commission has tried to articulate and enforce a balance. On the one hand, content providers need to mooch off the sweat and tears of the noble wire and wave owners. On the other hand, the parasitic wire and wave owners need to feast on the lifeblood of the content providers. And naturally, it all winds up in court. The Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, that's one step down from the Supreme Court, ruled that the FCC failed to establish their specific authority to regulate the wire and wave owners. So, after winning the case in January, Comcast charged Netflix for an interconnection fee in February. The fact that Netflix download speeds dropped 27% after the court ruling was probably a total coincidence, I'm sure. Now, let's be clear. The court ruling didn't say that the FCC couldn't referee this fight. The court said that they had to be more clear about how and why they were going to referee this fight. As things stand now, the playing field is tilted strongly in favor of the wire and wave owners. But if the FCC designates them as common carriers like railroads, pipelines, and long-distance telephone lines, the content providers gain the upper hand. And that process is happening now. The FCC is soliciting public comment until July 15th. Services like Hulu, Amazon, and even Google owe their existence and continued profitability to networks owned by companies like Verizon, AT&T, and Comcast. And if Priority One Productions actually made any money, so would we. And let's be frank here, there are hard dollar costs associated with making our shows, and we, as a group, have decided to eat them so far. We ask for donations over at Priority One, and some of you generously chip in and help out, and we thank you for that. But it doesn't even come close to keeping the lights on around here, let alone paying for the kind of shows that we would want to give to you guys. And if we had to pay our ISP to guarantee enough bandwidth for you folks to listen to Priority One via our website or log on to Guard Frequency's live show on Saturday night, well, we probably just wouldn't do it. And that's the issue. Who do you want to have the unfair advantage? The content providers or the wire and wave owners? If you're listening to a free podcast designed and delivered as a labor of love, I think we both know the answer. So here's what we would like you to do. There will be links in our show notes with instructions on how to register your opinion with the FCC and your representatives in Congress. It doesn't take long, and it's easy to do. If you happen to agree with us that the internet is a utility, kind of like landline phones, electricity, natural gas, then you can just follow the script about broadband being a Title II telecommunications service as opposed to an information service as it is currently classified. If not, well, then just say what you want to say. And even if you're not a U.S. citizen, you're on the internet, and this sort of thing affects everyone. So there's a way for our listeners outside the U.S. to chime in, and we'll post that as well. Thanks for your indulgence. Rant over. Now let's check out what happened in Stow News. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. All right, Captains, our first piece of Star Trek Online news is the 64th literary challenge titled The New Frontier. Now, this one's a little different than previous literary challenges insofar that Star Trek Online Community Manager Captain Smirk has introduced a new challenge. Now, participants are challenged to rewrite a classic canon episode. 
like the Undine in our discussion with uh, Dr. Robert Hurd. Now's your chance uh, to to have at it. But these challenges are topic specific, so you'll have to wait for that opportunity. Uh, this edition's challenge is to rewrite the Next Generation episode, Night Terrors. So be sure to check that out on the Star Trek online forums. Links, of course, will be in the show notes. If you fancy yourself a writer, don't miss this opportunity. So has anyone gotten a chance to check out the summer resort on Ryza lately? I stopped by, but I only like walked around the deck and that was it. Okay, well, did you guys know that there are a few new structures on the planet? One has a nice outdoor bar and dining area, and the other one has a fun lounge with a giant surfboard hovering in it. Actually, there are many of them. The walls are basically lined with hoverboards. Great Scott! Well, technically, I think they're called power boards, but you know what I mean. And they're so pretty. Not only that, but there's a very obvious race starting point in the water between the two structures, so if you put two and two together, well, that equals four, but it also means hoverboard race. That sounds like a lot of fun to me, and I've been dreaming of such a race ever since I watched that iconic pink hoverboard scene in Back to the Future 2. There has always been a lot of talk about swimsuits. As far as I've heard, and who knows if my sources are reliable or not, but the word on the street is that we are going to get the chance to wear swimwear on Ryza, and only on Ryza. And um, there's some leaked pics floating around, but who knows if those are even the finished product. So I just hope that they come in pink. The only leaked pictures I've seen or have seen is the one, it's it's the one blonde girl in the ponytail and it's just a series of pictures she's lined up. They're risque, that's for sure. Hmm. See, I saw one with the male options and first, this obvious bias, there's fewer male options. Okay, we'll leave it at that. Uh, but an obviously canon piece of swimwear Captain Picard's mankini bottom or whatever you want to call it, banana hammock, whatever you will. <laughs> <laughs> is not available, and I hope this gets rectified because the first time we're ever introduced to Risa, he is wearing that. No, there's still time. There is still time. So there's only one rule if you're gonna stay at El Casa de Top. You gotta hammock up. Oh, I don't, I don't have one of those, Tom. No problem. What are you? About a medium? Extra medium. This will work, and it'll look good too. Yes, it's not too late. Uh, the command speedo. Yes, command speedo. This is the way you make it so. All right, according to a post by Bordicus Cryptic, accuracy on biomolecular mines will soon be replaced with a new modifier, radius, which for each instance of the mod, it increases the explosion radius of the mines by 0.5 kilometers. So this will happen on all existing mines that have already been purchased or earned via reward packs, as well as all the mines listed on the counter command reputation store. Because of course, the accuracy mod would not do anything on a mine. It has no effect. Accuracy is not an issue with mines. Uh, they also said that uh, despite reports that damage mods were not working properly, they were parsing the correct damage, but the tooltip was not accurately reflecting that the damage mods were applied, which is getting fixed. So this is pretty cool. Wh who, who uses mines? Not me. I did for a little while, but... I mean, they're mostly a novelty item. Um, there's there's some PvP uses of them. There, now that we have the aft-firing uh, cannon, there's some impetus to try to make a make more out of your rear facing focus at least on the patrol escort it's a it's it's not not viable i mean if you're going to do passes or strafing runs it's nice to be able to get some damage out of your aft i have not used projectiles other than torpedoes uh in in god knows how long i i really don't i just 
So for our first community question, Captains, do you think that the addition of the radius modifier to mines will help to redeem them? Uh, what sort of uses have you found for mines? If you use mines on your ship, how have you found that they uh, function for you? Let us know in the comments section for this episode on PriorityOnePodcast.com or on the official forum post on the Star Trek Online forums. So Captains, there's some big news coming uh, to Star Trek Online starting May 16th, 2014 until May 27th, 2014. Everyone will have the opportunity of replaying a past featured episode. Now, not only will you have access to the original rewards, like the Shard of Possibilities, or the Orphidian Cane, or your Reman or Breen Bridge Officer, but your account will be rewarded 15 Lobby Crystals per day for replaying a mission. So that's 15 days, that's a total of 180 lobi that you'll be able to earn from replaying these, these missions. Now, it's been, you know, it's been a long time since I've uh, run the uh, all of the featured episode series and I, I do need to get the shard of possibilities for my um, my current main character. So it'll be nice to, to play through these again. I'm starting to find that I don't care much about the bridge officers. Like they're, they're like a Pokemon to me, like gotta catch them all. But I never use them. I don't use them on the ground. I don't use them in space. They're just they're just taking up a slot. I use the Breen in my ground crew sometimes, but uh, yeah, the Reman I use uh, I use Embassy Romulans instead now. You know what I'm gonna do with that Lobi? I'm gonna buy a bunch of Alpha One One Seven K Nine companions until I get a pink one. <laughs> That's wonderful, That's man! Right what there. a ter- oh, those things! I want that pink bit. puppy. There's that passion. The passion. Speaking of passion, why don't you go ahead and. Uh, Tell us what's been on your mind, Cookie. Well, I came to a shocking discovery yesterday when I tried to give someone a nerve tonic, and to my surprise, it was bound to character. It's no longer on the exchange. You can't give it to friends or trick new people anymore. Now, I don't know when exactly this change took place, but I'm assuming it was recently. I looked at the info on the nerve tonic to see if it said anything different, and it read... A drink created by the bartender on Drozana Station meant to soothe one's nerves. So I thought, okay, maybe you can just buy it on Drozana now. That's not too bad. So I went and checked it out. Nope, can't buy it there. I think that description was the same one it always had, and I'm assuming it was just talking about the mission that you get it from, Night of the Comet. But it was worth a try. So at this point, I'm worried. Are they getting rid of it completely? What's gonna happen? (sighs) Upon further investigation, I found out that yes, you can still get it from that mission, at least for your own personal use. But still, part of the joy of Nerve Tonic is giving it to someone who doesn't know what it is or what it does, and then watching the effects and their reaction. I still remember the first time I discovered Nerve Tonic. It was in a dark and creepy basement on Earth's space dock, with just me and a complete stranger handing me that beautiful, shiny, golden orange bottle. But we don't need to go into the details of that shady exchange. Basically, it was given to me, and I don't think I would have ever even known about it otherwise. And I've since been able to continue the tradition and give it to others, and well, you know, you all know the saying, it's better to give than to receive. Well, not with Nerve Tonic anymore. I just want to know why. Why? Why is this happening? I don't understand. There must be a reason. Just help me understand. Why would anyone want to do this? Seriously, though, it's sad. There's a sadness in my character's eyes now. That little sparkle of joy is gone. 
I got nothing. So uh, <laughs> that brings us to our second community question. Now that nerve tonics are character bound, how many of you will be continuing to play STO? Oh, this is so sad. I just don't understand why. I, I would never I have it. even known. What's the harm? What was the harm? What? Why? I'm going to blame the Undine. Maybe you could bottle fluidic space and bring it back. Ooh, like steal the babies. Like stealing the yeah, babies. Yeah, like stealing the babies. I like that. This week's release notes mainly address some bugs and uh, also evening out the AFK penalty, applying it to the uh, newer maps like uh, Storming the Spire, The Breach, Undine Assault, uh, Viscous Cycle, and uh, Undine Infiltration. So uh, people who AFK out will be penalized like they are in the other, the STFs and other queues. Uh, a few other minor details where uh, there were character bugs with some of the hair buns, which I know is very important because as we all know, the true end game of STO is the tailor. Saurian captains are very happy that while they can regenerate them, they are no longer missing their arms when equipping the Voth light soldier outfit, which was very troubling. Uh, mostly it's bug fixes. Uh, they did uh, one nice little addition where the Undine lockbox and Lobby ship consoles are now in the reclaim store. So if you own that ship and you have misplaced your console, you can reclaim it like you can most of the other uh, special consoles of that type. Okay, so you can't reclaim the ship, but you'll be able to reclaim the console? Correct. They added that a while back. It's just their, the newest ships were not didn't have their consoles added to that yet. Why would you be able to reclaim the console but not the ship? Right, why not both? Reclaiming ships has more to do with the way the ship requisition officers uh, works. So reclaiming ships is generally done through there, but those are for account-bound ships. Um, I assume there's some tech having to do with uh, character unlocks for ships that makes that different. Maybe a question for another day. I don't have an answer for that. But that's really it for release notes. Well, Captains, that wraps up Star Trek Online news. Now we hear from Shivery Bean and his Foundry Officer's Report. Chivalry being here with another Foundry Officer Report. Note that the original Foundry Officer Report wrapper mission is now available again in your mission journal, so be sure to grab that before playing. You get more rewards and it has a 30 minute cooldown. Today's mission is Brothers of Man by Gualvashad. The mission is to visit a planet for the purposes of first contact. If the location in Gamma Orionis isn't a clue, make sure you have some remodulators. There will be a few Borg. This is part one of a series and is also the author's first mission. It features some space and ground combat, investigating clues, and custom maps. The mission makes a good first part of a series. It introduces the people you are there to make contact with throw some troubles your way, and foreshadows possible issues that may crop up later in the series. The maps are custom and generally nice to look at. The gameplay is fairly straightforward, but it's not dull. There's dialogue to read between actions, but no one drones on for long expositions. There's an arc that starts and ends in this mission, with paths that lead to the next mission in the series. It feels like a whole part. The next mission, Shadow of Avalon, is currently in the review section if you want to play it. It will be stuck there until reviews are turned back on and two more people play and review it. Brothers of Man is a good first start for the author, and the mission is a fun trail into an uncommonly visited area of stone. Next up, let's open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. 
All right, Captain, so we've got our feedback from episode 173, and just a reminder, these were our community questions. The first being, will you be purchasing the new Tempest Escort, or its fleet variant? How do you think it compares to the other, more commonly used escorts in the game, like, for instance, the Fleet Defiant? Our second question was, what do you think about dropping server instances in Star Trek Online and just having two or three world servers? What hurdles do you think Star Trek Online would face? What other benefits do you think this could have to the game? All right, let's start with our first question about the the escort. What kind of feedback did we get, Cookie? Well, on PriorityOnePodcast.com, Sunseal writes, I can't say I'm too excited to buy the patrol escort, especially when, so far, there has been no official mention of a trade-in on the fleet variant people have already spent money on. I'm still saving my zen to get the legacy pack, then the Romulan Dyson Science Destroyer 3 pack, so I'm not looking forward to any other purchases for a long while. Well, alright, so we received an email uh, last week from Lionel Harris uh, via email bringing up this very... Uh, contentious topic regarding the announcement of the Tempest and Fleet Patrol Escort. Um, He shared with us two links on the forums of, as he writes, a lot of people are not happy that there wasn't an upgrade path for the previous owners. Now keep in mind, he writes, there was no C-Store version prior, so everyone who purchased it paid four fleet ship modules for the Fleet Patrol Escort. He writes, thanks guys and keep it up. Oh, yeah, and don't let Al push you around. I won't. I promise you, Lionel. It's a new ship. I mean, I understand that there was no Sea Store variant, so everybody paid essentially full price for the ship, but you're still going to keep that ship, right? You're still going to get to hold on to that ship. Just don't dismiss the ship, right? Otherwise, you'll lose it. Um, but you'll get, you'll still get to keep the ship. I don't know. I'm a little torn about this whole, you know, trade it in for the new one, or, you know, was this some kind of terrible oversight? I mean, the Cosmic One on the forums put it nicely. They're not taking anything away from anyone he writes if someone purchased the fleet ship they get to keep it so from that standpoint i the cosmic one don't see any problem if they're if they were taking away someone's purchase then they should be entitled to whatever was spent on the ship in refund but they are taking nothing away so i don't know i i i see why people feel that they deserve some type of trade-in for the for the new ship the new ship is you know, handsomer than what was bef- what was there before. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, it's a tough call. It, it would have been a nice gesture for there to be some trade-in mechanism if you wanted to upgrade to maybe only have to pay the difference, but you get rid of your old ship. But I imagine that there's no existing um, code to allow that at the current time. So I don't know. I, I can only speculate. You're right. I think it, gesture's a really nice way of putting it. I think it would have been nice, you know, had... Uh, because I think in this case, it was this is definitely a perfect world marketing kind of deal that they handle the sale of any ships uh, that go on in the game. Um, yeah, I think it would have been nice, but yeah, I'm sure the mechanics just weren't there for me to submit a ship and then get get one in return. Um, at the same token, you're not going to lose the ship. Uh, you will be able to still keep and fly your fleet escort. Uh, you will just have the option of buying a new one. And yeah, and you know, I know like Sunseal is is listening now live with us on trekradio.net and she writes that the new ship does have better seating than the former version so ultimately you know it's a new ship it's it's a whole new ship it's got a better hull it's got better energy power buffs um and the buff seating is is in fact better but it's it's a new ship so 
it's like buying a new one, right? It's it, This is a new ship. They're just not selling the old one anymore. That's it. The one mitigating factor is at least the old one was four modules and the new one is five. So if the new one was also four, that would be kind of a kick in the pants. You know, like, wow, for the same price, somebody buying a ship today would get one that's, you know, arguably just straight up better than mine was. So, but that's small, small consolation to someone who owns the other ship and wants this one but would have their old ship totally uh, obsoleted by the new one. Not only, yeah, but Jay Galloway writes that it's a new skin and new boss station. But no, it's not just that. Like like Jay just said, that you've got uh, a, a different console layout with the added tactical. You've got the boff station change, which is a big change, right? We no longer have that, what are we going to do with this ensign? Uh, you know, and, of course, the new skin. And the aft firing cannon and the potential to use the new Sea Store console. Yeah, if so this ultimately feels to me more like a new ship. I don't know that it, it was worth the time and investment to install whatever technical her, uh, mechanic is needed in the game to uh, allow a trade-in. Like, what, what would be the return on investment for something like that? I, I don't know that it would be there. Um, this is a whole new ship. Maybe it just should have been, all right, we're retiring... The old one, you're not going to be able to get it anymore. Hey, here's a new one. I mean, I guess people are still going to spin it. I don't know. Maybe give it a different name. I don't know. This was this was something that probably the the, the people, the marketing team at Perfect World, uh, probably could have um, presented a little differently. You know, maybe given it a different name. Given I don't know something something to help control this uh, this lash out that people are experiencing having purchased uh, a ship for four modules. You know, many eons ago. Agreed. Now, on the flip side, regarding the ship itself, we have some pretty positive feedback about it. Um, Mad Wolf writes in via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I'm a huge Defiant and Armitage fan, and I have to say I absolutely love this ship, the Tempest, as well. Yeah, it was 30 bucks between both the Z-Store and Fleet versions, but it was worth it. Love the fact that it has variant ship skins, the new boff layout is awesome. All I can say is that this ship is an evil weapon of destruction in the right hands in a PvP match. I've put both my Defiant and Armitage on hiatus to fly this puppy. Love this ship. Great job, Cryptic. I'm still... Um, my verdict is still out. I, I, I need to... Alright, I got all the phasers and I got everything all set up, right? I have, I have everything set up. And I still found that I was a bit squishy. So I switched over to my Fleet Chimera, which is my other phaser build. Um, I find that I am not as squishy in my Chimera uh, as I am in my in that in that um, fleet patrol escort. I, I need to give it. I, I think I need to just run a few more tests on it before my verdict is out. Azurian Star writes: I got the new patrol escort, and it's a nice ship. Overall, I do like almost everything about the Tempest. After getting so many ships with unique hulls that frankly aren't as customizable I'm happy to see Cryptic building upon an existing chassis again with ship parts you can mix and match for more variety. I think it's got a lot of potential uh, that is going to take players a good while to fully explore. Now he wrote this on the uh, Star Trek Online forums. He wrote a lot more. We encourage you to, to go check that out on the official forum post for the episode. But I do like this you know the fact that it's uh, it's you can kit bash it a little bit with uh, the other variants. Yeah that is a good point because I uh, have quite a fondness for the Dervish model is near and dear to my heart. It's one of the first new STO ships that really appealed to me. So being able to use that with some updated specs is kind of cool. 
Although I really like the skin on the Tempest. All right, our second question about uh, dropping server instances in Star Trek Online and just having two or three world servers. Go ahead, Cookie. Lance and Dragon commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I like the instance nature of the game. It would not be fun going into ESD and seeing 200 plus players just idling at the exchange. My problem with world events is you miss them. STO is a global game. The instance nature helps support this. Sometimes things come down to performance versus immersion. The instant caps are a performance issue. If every step took three seconds for you to move, then things will suffer. I don't understand this whole performance thing. I mean, you up the World of Warcraft didn't have this issue. I don't understand why everybody thinks Star Trek Online is going to have this issue. Um, Albeit that come season nine, um, there have been a lot of graphical issues that even my computer can't handle. Um, And I'm wondering what the deuce, because I have, you know, I have a, a I have a good machine. It's a little old, and by little I mean like three years, two years. Um... I have a powerful machine, and I have a very good graphics card. Um, there's no reason that Stowe should be um, behaving the way it does. And I'm not the only one that's been reporting these issues. So I, I don't know what ch- – there should be a guide of what changes we made to the the engine or whatever it may be um, and what you can do to make sure you're not suffering um, because they clearly made changes, right? If you go into the options, things are different. But what they did, I want to know. Actually, on a on a similar topic, Green Dragoon tweeted us at STO Priority One. Instances keep your computer from dying horribly. The client has to render every person. Fifteen players in the Undine Zone already brings my computer to its knees. Can you imagine a hundred? Well, yeah, but I'm not saying that the PVE events need to be every man for themselves. Kind of, you go in. No, no, those those would still stay instanced. I'm talking about just the general world, right? The the sector space is just one. One sector space, or I'm sorry, one instance of se- sector space, one instance of Earth space dock. Um, I, I not not the games. I'm not saying you know. Well, he's not even talking about a queue. He's talking about the Undine space battle zone. Is that currently capped really low? I do. I have heard people having this issue too with the Undine battle zone. I think I have had that too. I just didn't realize that that's what it was. Well, it's an area made up of mostly new textures, including the ships, right? So it's probably all a little bit higher caliber than some of the older content. But that's what I don't understand. I remember when Perfect World took over, they made a big thing about you know we're we're being very conscious about our textures and our graphics, and and because Perfect World really wants us to be more accessible to. You know, the, the player that's still running the game on Windows XP. If you're still running the game on Windows XP, you should probably think of upgrading. Because Microsoft no longer supports Windows XP. Sorry, that's just the techie talking to me. But, be that as it may, I remember them making a big deal about making a conscious effort of improving the performance on consumer line graphics cards, right? The, the Everybody's random graphics cards. So, yet in Season 9, it seems as if though the game is being is demanding so much more of the game of, uh, of your equipment. Uh, Vivian Anthony commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com, Instancing is great for a smaller environment, but for a huge social experience, instancing is bad. You need servers that cross-communicate with each other and load-balancing routers and switches. The reason is someone connects to a network game server and it sticks to that server. The cross-communicate server will allow for instancing to be removed. Cryptic did not design the software from the core level to do that. that uh, yeah, I know, that may be the case, but... I, now that I know about these different servers and how you're separated, and I don't like that. No, I like the way it is now. I don't, now I go back on that. I'll, I can handle the instancing now, now that I know what the um, 
alternative is. I just thought we were talking about having more people allowed in the instance and having less instances, but the separate servers? No, I don't like that at all. Tawani writes via PriorityOnePodcast.com, I understand why five to ten years ago games went to instances because networks were poor and people's computers couldn't handle 500 tunes running around. But in the past five to ten years, how far have computers come? My internet connection and computer has improved tenfold, as well as my OS and all else. Why are these instances limited to 50 tunes? Can't that be up to 200, 400, 500? That would bring the multi and massive back into the MMO and make STO a game with a future. Plus, how many times did you see Odo go to Quarks and yell, Damn, wrong instance, and run back outside and then re-enter the bar. That would be amazing, by the way. That would be, yes. I have to agree with Tawani. I I just, I have a GeForce 560 Ti. That's about a a year and a half old graphics card, maybe two. But it should still run Star Trek Online, which is a four-year-old game, very well. I agree with Tawani. I just don't understand why Star Trek Online is, is... As demanding as it is now, I just don't get it, especially now with season nine. What is what happened? I don't get it. I don't it's it's starting to frustrate me because I'm in game and I'm starting to lag and I when I never lagged before and it's driving me insane. And I know that other people are experiencing the same thing. Yeah, I've actually had uh, had my whole system lock to where I had to actually power off my computer multiple times which has never happened to me in any game or in STO prior to this and I haven't been able to figure it out or diagnose it yet. I've also had server stability issues too now more so than ever where it'll server not responding and I get kicked from the game. I've been having a, I've been having a few of that and it's driving me batty. What did they change in season 9? So we also received a couple more suggestions for Professor Jace to consider when renaming Field Notes. Uh, first, Shemrocksky posted on PriorityOnePodcast.com, I suggest for the new Field Notes name, wait for it, Assimilate this. You could use the quote from First Contact to open. It's perfect. I hope you like it. I do like it. I'll have to confer with my partners in crime. But I, I do like that. That's very cool. I'm a big fan of wharf lines like that because I don't think... Uh, Sir, I protest. I am not a merry man. Fit as well, which is my other favorite wharf line. Not really appropriate. And Sean Newboy commented via PriorityOnePodcast.com with his suggestion, instead of field notes as a title, how about How to Die with Honor? Wonderful show. Welcome to the new sound engineer, Ben Churchill. Yeah. My only concern with that one, especially since my initial opening series is on defense, it might sort of undercut the validity of my information. Follow my advice on defense and you will die with honor. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Captains, each week our social media channels are extremely busy with your thoughts, your opinions, and suggestions for the show. So please, we encourage you to keep them coming. Reach out to us on Facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast or follow us on Twitter at STO Priority One or shoot an email to incoming at Priority One Podcast.com. Well, that wraps up episode 174 of Priority One Podcast, recorded live on TrekRadio.net. Remember, we record Thursday nights live on Trek Radio starting at around 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time and 7.30 p.m. Pacific Time. And you can subscribe by pointing your podcast catcher at feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Let us know what you think of the show and submit your responses for the community questions in the comment section on our site or on the Star Trek Online forum post for this episode. Stay in touch with us throughout the week by following our social media websites. Head over to facebook.com slash priority one podcast and give us a like. 
or check us out on Twitter via at STO Priority One. You can even join the Priority One podcast chat in game. Just type forward slash channel underscore join space Priority One. Captains, we want to thank you for your ongoing support of Priority One podcast. You can continue to support Priority One with real-world donations by helping us reach our monthly financial goals. We are all volunteers, and we could use your help with purchasing new equipment, hosting fees, or to alleviate travel expenses as we cover conventions on location. We'd love to see you at the Star Trek Las Vegas convention. A very special thanks to everyone who has already contributed and continues to do so on a recurring basis. Without your ongoing support, we would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. And don't forget to tune in to Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. It's a pretty good show. You should check it out. The Priority One fleet is recruiting. If you're interested in joining, just shoot us an email with your ad handle and we'll be sure to send you an invite. The email is incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Before we end the show, we want to welcome several new members to the Priority One Podcast team, including the new addition to the audio team, Ben Churchill, our new graphic artist, Henry Pomper, our new community manager, Mr. Izzy. Thanks to the entire team behind Priority One Podcast, including our audio engineer, Skiffy. Special thanks to Dr. Robert Hurt for schooling us on fluidic space. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Epic Gamer Radio, Subspace Radio, and Trek Radio. Special thanks to our sponsor, Sayulita.com. But most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek online community, our listeners. Without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. We would not be able to bring you the content you've grown to enjoy from Priority One Podcast. We do grow on you like a space fungus. Oh my gosh, P1 Trollman was Jay Galloway the whole time. No way. Of course. Of course it was. I'm a troll man. But there's a very and and if you and if you look carefully, if you find it, there's an Easter egg. It's a DeLorean. You'll have to go on the. You have to go to the basement. (laughs) It's underwater. This is Elijah Stow News Sync One. This is Cookie Sto News Sync Two. This is Jace Star Trek Online News Sync Three. I can hear right. That's her. Yeah, I remember this episode. That sounds right. Are you, were you trying to be Troy just then? I was, I was. That was amazing. I have one impression of Troy. Mother. Right. Oh, that's, that's, that's pretty good, do. actually. That's all I can do. Beep-boop-boop-boop-boop-boop. Why? Uh, why? Because... <laughs>
it just sounds weird when you just say why don't you spell earthspace.correctly correctly and i'll say it right <laughs> <laughs> it's got a space between it no it doesn't yes it does why'd you put dork <laughs> I love how in the in the the way he his little his little cursor like skedaddled up. Like he just didn't move it once. He skedaddled up. I didn't even see it. <laughs> beep boop bop boop beep boop bop. Before we get another letter about the Cation kittens, okay? Uh, Skiffy, make sure you cut this story. Uh, in, in post. Thank you. All right. I wish on. I could cut the story in real life. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm thinking maybe it's just your negativity uh, is negatively impacting your uh, computer performance. <laughs> <laughs> From Boop, hashtag from before. Well, don't miss Elle's latest. Is this the year you, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Is this it is. It's, go? I'm going to win this weekend. Is this the year you go to a con? You want what? Are you you two go to a con. <laughs> hey, I sorry. said it right, even though it was written wrong. I know, I know, I know. This is good radio. Well, captains, try not to get it. What? <laughs> I'm sorry, I didn't read this first. Okay. You got this. Um. <laughs> Come on, it's funny. Okay. It's mucus. Ew. Space mucus. <laughs> well, captains, try not to get it in your hair when we trek out fluidic space with Dr. Robert Kurt. <laughs> <laughs> All right, try it one more time. Try it one more time. Breathe, breathe. Remember to breathe. Well, captains. No, well, not. <laughs> Uh, Cookie, you had a question? Oh, yes. Um, if you go... <laughs> Spit it out. It's all fluid with us. Sounds like a duty officer mission. She said duty. <laughs>